Let's go. Welcome to Micromobility, a podcast exploring the disruptive potential of lightweight utility vehicles. Using the history of computing as a framework, we examine how these technologies will upend everything we thought we knew about the future of urban transport. The host of the show is Horace Dedu, founder of Asimco.com, and I'm his co-host, Oliver Bruce. Hey team, Oliver here. This week I interview Enrico Howe and Alex Camellin from Inverse about the Global Moped Sharing Report, which has just come out. I've had Enrico on the show back in 2019, and it was great to have him back on and get an update two years later about where we've got to with the state of moped sharing globally. It includes some incredible and, frankly, crazy stats. I had no idea quite how much the moped sharing industry had transitioned to electric in the last couple of years, and it's an incredible number. I'm looking forward to hearing the commentary from everybody about it on Twitter. Hit me up. I'm Oliver Bruce, and Horace is Asimco. Would love to hear from you. In the meantime, I want to thank our sponsor for the episode, Ubique. Ubique is turning operations from reactive to predictive. Most shared mobility businesses are not profitable, as 60 to 80% of the demand is not met. Ubique fixes this by placing vehicles in the right place at the right time to meet demand. This enables operators to increase revenue by 20% within eight weeks while also decreasing operational costs. Most shared operators react in order to meet demand instead of predicting and exploiting the full capacity of their fleet. Street Crowd is enabling 15,000 citizens from 11 cities on two continents to address that issue by matching vehicles, requiring rebalancing and charging with crowd users, allowing shared mobility operators to automate their operations. This means mobility operators can utilize decentralized operations that run 24-7 across the city, turning operations from reactive to predictive. The best part? It's fully scalable, and you can apply it everywhere right away. Get in touch to find out more by clicking on the link in the show notes. And now, here is Enrico and Alex. Let's go. All right, and welcome back to Micromobility. We have with us today Enrico Howe and Alex Mellon. How are you today, team? Great. Pretty good. Thanks for having us today. Oh, look, it's wonderful to have you on. And Enrico, great to have you on again. Obviously, this is the, the second time we've covered off the Global Moped Sharing Report. Been, what, two years since since we were last on? Two years, exactly. Quite some developments in between since then. Yeah, it has been quite a journey. But I'm really looking forward also, like, to be honest, to talk to you again in two years from now. We're just at the beginning of the show. but. Yep. I think it's a very fast-paced market. Oh, totally. And I'm, I'm really excited to understand what those IRAs were because I, I agree. I think we were right at the very early stage. Well, it felt like the very early stages of open sharing. And Alex, we've actually had you on a panel for Micromobility World way back in, way back in the day in January of, when was it? January of this year. Exactly, was, yeah. Time in our industry, has moved so quickly. In our industry, that all feels much longer and, and a yeah, longer time ago because it's moved, moving so quickly. Indeed. Indeed. Well, look, we had you on because you were part of Inverse. And like one of the things that I'd love to kind of just understand from the both of you is how does the relationship between moped sharing and Inverse work? And just just so we can get that cleared up as to, what, you know, how, how we have both of you on the podcast. Enrico, could you want to take, take us through the history of Moped Sharing Report? Sure. So basically the market itself, maybe not the report itself, but the market is still very young. Moped sharing was founded in 2012. So like this is nine years ago now. Quite a journey it took since then. That's pretty interesting. And since five years, I'm basically running this annual report. In the beginning, 
Interestingly, it was called scooter sharing market report. <laughs> right. In our last interview, it was still called global scooter sharing market report. We can also talk a little bit about yeah. this. By now, we're calling it global moped sharing market report, also to better distinguish between kick scooters and mopeds. And depending on the market and the country, mopeds are often also called simply bikes, as in India, yeah. scooters, sometimes as moto sharing, as in Spain. So it depends a little bit on the regional context. But yeah, moped sharing is still a young market. But heavily growing and uh, mopedsharing.com where I'm basically running mopedsharing.com as a freelancer and it's nothing else than a knowledge platform for the mopedsharing sector. It, it's annual report, quarterly reports. There's a newsletter. I'm publishing white papers on a regular basis. So basically, I'm dedicating 100% of my time in basically dedicating, really focusing on mopedsharing in particular. Marvelous. And so, and the partnership that came along with Invis, how did that work? Well, obviously, it's the fifth report. And uh, for the very first time now, I'm really happy to have Invis on board since they're really a very dedicated shared mobility partner. It enables me to have a wider reach. It's a great partnership in terms of better research capabilities. They have a lot of customers in the field. They have a lot of market insights. They have a big research team, so we teamed up and pulled this all off together. And this is really, really interesting. But uh, maybe, Alex, you can tell a little bit more about Inverse. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah, sure. So we at Inverse, we are a mobility tech company. We provide hard and software to sort of bridge the gap between the physical vehicle and the digital world. So integrating vehicles into like a, like a digital fleet. So we get data out of the vehicle and put it into the cloud, like the position of a vehicle or the battery level or, or other status information of it. And we also process commands and make sure they're executed on the vehicle, like unlocking the motor so a user can drive it or blocking, for example, the center stand of a moped so it cannot be moved in an unauthorized manner. Our products are on the one hand, IoT hardware that is to be built into a vehicle to make it connected as a retrofit solution. And on the other hand, we provide software tools to easily integrate, manage, configure, and monitor vehicles, which might come with already an IoT X factory from the manufacturer or are retrofit equipped with our own. And since we provide all of this through universal APIs, optimized for sharing and with a strong focus on, on developer friendliness, we enable them to easily and quickly build mobility services on top of this, whatever they want to do. Cool. And as I understand it, you started in the car share industry and then have pivoted and started growing into the micromobility industry as, you, as you've seen that emerge as well. Yeah, exactly. So actually the company is, is quite old, for, for especially for our industry. It was founded in 1993 by, by our CTO and yeah, founder Uwe Lage, who actually invented also the first device to make a passenger car ready for sharing. And uh, yeah, of course, the early days was uh, like a niche market where yeah, most of the like uh, operators and uh, users were like driven by you know very eco-friendly approach. And then I think things changed a bit when when Car2Go came around. Yeah. And starting the first like free-floating car sharing scheme in Europe and North America, and then the advent of the smartphone, things yeah got more and more accelerated, and you know mobility really became a bigger topic. And then in 2015, when uh, moped sharing started in Germany, that's where we also entered this space and uh, entered this, the micro-mobility space, so to say, together with the yeah. guys at EMI, who started here in Berlin, in Germany. Yeah, and maybe I can give you a little anecdote on the side, that because back then, when we were talking to them, 
We at Inverse, we're not 100% convinced that moped sharing is really something that, you know, is going to take off. Yeah. But, you know, luckily today we can say that they convinced us to, to move on. And, and now we see it's a, it's a viable business and it's been growing steadily over the years which I think is great. And yeah, for us, it's also, Moped's a bit of like the, the hidden champion in, in the space. Not so maybe loud, but steadily growing and really a, a great vehicle for moving around in the city. Yeah, well, I'm really excited to unpack that. So Enrico, take us through. What is the top line figures, key insights or developments of this year, but really of the last two years for Moped yeah. sharing globally? So maybe just to start with, it's basically a market report, 53 pages, free of charge. It's launching very soon. We're right now in the end of October when this show is recorded and it's launching on November 2nd. So very, very soon. And I think it's basically the one publication you need to read to understand the market from an inside perspective. What we've seen since 2019, when we last talked, yeah. Oliver, there have been quite some developments. Basically, to start with, I think that's the one fact you need to take away. All major KPIs, all major factors we're looking at, these include, for example, the number of users, the number of mobits, cities, countries, the electrification rate in the industry, they're all growing. Yeah. This is something I wouldn't take for granted, especially since we had one and a half very surprising years. Nobody saw COVID and the pandemic coming, and especially in the beginning of COVID, uh, nobody knew for sure if that's going to impact the shared mobility and mobility industry in general, positively or negatively. By now, we know, well, it was basically a window of opportunity how I would put it, for the sector, for, for users to question their mobility behavior. Many people were thinking, well, I don't want to be in public transport. Unfortunately, I do, I do need an alternative to my traditional mobility behavior. And that's where also people flocked into shared mobility services. Yeah. So we saw, especially the registration numbers at mobile sharing as in many other shared mobility vehicle modes, rising on quite substantially. So last time we talked, we estimated the global registration number at 5 million. By now, it's at 12 million. So from last year to this year, it increased from 9 to 12 million. And this is quite fundamentally, the market is getting bigger and bigger. People are getting getting their bodies onto the mopeds and trying it out and um, checking it out if that is a valuable alternative for their mobility behavior. Awesome. Is there a particular market that's really driven a lot of that growth or is it being global? Yeah, I think it's a global industry. That's yeah. for sure. We have 27 countries by now in 175 cities. So quite, quite some big numbers. Yeah. And how we did it, basically, we also reached out to all of the operators. We did a lot of desktop studies. We talked to experts. Um, so quite substantial research, basically a full market study. Mm -hmm. But to bring it down to a couple of growth drivers, I would say it's a very Western European game at the moment. Yeah. So we can see that the Western European market grew the most in 2021. Really? And that includes especially the Netherlands, Germany, and France. These were countries adding the most mopeds in the last year. Yeah, that's really fascinating. Because I mean, I remember when we first had this conversation, and then I subsequently went on to interview the CEO, of, uh, not CEO, VP of growth for Bounce, who's in India. And 
the sense that I got is that India was where the really big growth was happening for mopeds. But then I'd love to hear any updates that you have about how that market's developed or did, did growth effectively stall because of what was happening with COVID and things? What we can see, and I think that's one of the main trends also of this year's report, as I said, like also the number of mopeds in general, also on a global level is growing. We have 110,000 mopeds now. Last time we talked, it was like at 66,000. So it's quite a substantial growth, to be honest. All of the markets, they had different perspectives in the beginning, like in the turn from 2019 to 2020, then COVID hit. And then honestly, most of 2020 was basically conducting the growth, which was already planned in 2019. So pre-pandemic. Then we had a pandemic year and a lot of the planning and the, the expansion plans, they changed a bit. People and like companies became a little bit conservative and risk averse. They were trying to, to cover some risks. And one of the main strategies, and that's the answer for India, as for many other countries, some of the operators, they took the game towards a diversification of business models. So we were seeing that. The moped sharing sector, I would define it as a short-term use, app-based usage of mopeds, yep. becomes like also is opening up towards more traditional sectors, such as moped rental. We're really talking a lot about moped subscription. There's food and parcel delivery. And all of this is combined into single service providers. And this is something we've seen. So I'd say that at least for the time being, some of the operators on a global level became opportunistic and also saw and discovered different market opportunities to cover especially low mobility times, for example, in, in times of strong lockdowns, for example. And India is a very good example. They had strong lockdowns, but still it's one of the biggest two-wheeler markets globally. And the electrification, especially there, is like very much on the growth spectrum at the moment. For example, Bounce pivoted, not, they didn't pivot, but they basically transferred and switched their large parts of the combustion fleet towards electric fleets, fully electric fleets. They also went into quite some aspects of including parts of the value chain into their core business, including manufacturing their own mopeds and so on. So I think the markets are changing a lot. And I think that covid is a driver of that. Yeah, totally. I'd love to unpack the electrification parts. I was a little bit surprised, I guess, having originally looked at the space and thinking that a lot of those shared mopeds were electric and then finding out actually most of them were petrol. I know that the moped costs are still like, it's still it was still higher probably two years ago for an electric battery version of a, of a moped versus a petrol scooter. But the sense that I get is that those battery costs are continuing to come down and that there is going to be an inversion point at some point relatively soon where it's almost cheaper to buy an electric moped up front than it is to buy a petrol powered one. But also as well that the overall cost of ownership and running it on a fleet, it becomes a no brainer that you'd have it as electric. So where are we on that journey for mopeds, especially on fleet sets like this? What would be your educated guess in terms of the shared mobility fleet? Maybe that's a good question here. Because like, I believe yeah. you, you haven't checked out the numbers before. Like, What's your educated guess on the electrification rate in mobile sharing? So my understanding from where we were at last time in 2019 is probably like single digit percent. And I would say we're probably in the like 10% at this point. It's 97%. It's 97% of electrification in moped sharing. So we're talking about these 110,000 shared mopeds globally. And I would say all of them are electric. There are just a few examples no where we have combustion way. mopeds. And this is quite su surprising. It ha always has been the case that 
electrification in the mobile sharing space has been always the majority of mobiles actually. And then especially right. in the if last... you're in Europe, I, I guess maybe what I was thinking of is the Indian market where it wasn't that. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, India was a little bit of an exception, but India yeah. is so much on an electrification path at the moment, which is like really astonishing, like the speed itself and, and the weight they throw into the electrification of two wheelers, even on a global level. I would definitely have India on the map as also becoming a major supplier of electric mopeds in the future. At the moment, yeah. electric mopeds come from three sources. It's basically China, Taiwan, and Europe. And India is becoming maybe the new star in the field also. That's quite interesting yeah. to follow that. That is fascinating. And I also, that, okay, so that blew my mind, by the way. I can't wait to be able to share that out because I think and that is so cool. The, the second is going, as you say, India is kind of getting big in this space. And one of the things, the headlines that's really come across our kind of our desk a bunch of times, micromobility industries has been, Ola's new factory in India to go and produce 2 million mopeds. And I, I love it because it's one of those like, hey, Tesla's been trying for years. It took them 15 years to make a million cars a year. And Ola turns on a 2 million per year moped factory in the space of 18 months. You know, just not, not equatable directly, but just in the sense of like enabling families to have mobility. An electric moped is an incredible step up for a lot of families compared to what they would have had before. So can you take me through... Like, who do you think are the interesting players in the Indian market, especially around electrification and two-wheelers? So there are a couple of different paths to answer that. But I'd say, yeah, yeah Ola is probably one of the most prominent examples. They, I'm really grateful that they're pushing a lot into the sector. I think that's very good news in the field. They're also showcasing a lot what, what is possible. Honestly, very, very much surprised how fast you can set up an um, electric factory of mopeds with like quite some quality. I'm really interested to, to ride the moped in the future. Alex, maybe you can also tell a little bit about your factory or basically also your, your workshop in, in Siegen a little bit in Germany, because like you're testing so many more mopeds than I do on a, on a personal level with different quality checks. But I'd say there are a couple of players in India which also help in that regard. Next to Ola is yeah. maybe Hero Electric, like one of the biggest global moped manufacturers, two-wheeler manufacturers, which have been always there traditionally, and they're pushing also a lot into the sector. Even if we take the example back to shared mobility, as said in the beginning, Bounce, for example, is investing heavily into the manufacturing game. And this is also quite interesting to see that it's not only the traditional manufacturers which provision solutions to the shared mobility market, but the market is getting also more and more diverse and the stakeholders are also looking into different prospects in the field. Alex, I didn't realize that you guys had a testing <laughs> a testing unit. That sounds fun. Well, actually, so whenever we make a vehicle sharing ready with our technology, we at least, you know, get our hands on, on one vehicle once. So we, you know, know how to integrate it really well and create a documentation for it. And so that's why we see a lot of mopeds nowadays. And we can, we can definitely say that in general, the maturity of these vehicles are going up. Not only the maturity, but also the variety. Um, that's also something that we see in the report. I think it's now 34 manufacturers are uh, represented in this fleet of 110,000 vehicles, which is pretty impressive, I, th I think. Yeah. And yes, we definitely see the quality going up, the durability going up. A lot of aspects, yeah, that we, we see advancements, for example, in the design of housing and the plastics that are more scratch resistant and more flexible. 
And yeah, a lot of other aspects, because as you said, it's not so much for a sharing operator, it's not so much only about the, you know, the initial cost of the vehicle, but the really the total cost of ownership throughout the lifetime. And so you really have totally. to look at all these aspects to make it very interesting and efficient. And yeah, so that's definitely one, one trend we can also drive from the, from the report that we see increased variety of vehicles. Also yeah. that the, the, the borders, you know, like from let's say bike to moped to car are kind of like blurred out a little bit. We see on the side uh, between bikes and mopeds, kind of like hybrid vehicles. Also in India, we see the, the, the operator Yulu who's operating vehicles like that. And yeah, and here in Europe, we also here or there see these like micro cars, which are like in between mopeds and, and, and cars yeah. popping up. Some of them actually also have swappable batteries. So also the, the way you operate them in, in the fleet in the end is quite similar. And so that's also, I think something is very interesting. And I expect uh, we will see more, yeah, different form factors like these in the future. And I think in the end, that's absolutely great because Shared mobility in general just becomes much more att attractive and a much better alternative to you know, privately owned cars if the variety is, is broader and I really get the right vehicle for every, every mobility need that I have. Totally. I have a question there, which is, so if you've got lots of manufacturers, is there anybody who's gone? So one of the things that happened in the early days of the kick scooter industry was that Bird and Lime decided, hey, we have to go build our own hardware this is how we're going to win. We have control over the full stack of everything. Is there anybody who's gone in the moped sharing industry and is trying to do full stack, like build the vehicles, own them, operate them that whole way through? Or is it still, is there not really that available in the market industry at the moment? It's not the majority of operators. There are a few yeah. examples, but powerful examples, I'd say. Maybe Alex, probably the most prominent example might be Google, yeah. I'd say. Agree. From Taiwan. Yeah. So there is Google, which is one of the main moped manufacturers. I think they have roughly 8% market share in the global moped sharing market, which is quite substantial. That would be place number six. I'm looking at the pie chart at the moment. This is quite substantial. But at the same time, there's also GoShare, which is closely connected to Google, which runs a very successful large-scale moped sharing scheme in Taiwan at the moment. They're also looking at potential expansion strategies, but I think most interestingly, and this is also one of this, this year's trends, they run probably the most famous and most well-run battery swapping scheme globally. They have more than a thousand national battery swapping stations on a small island of 100 kilometer length, 40 kilometer to the side. So it's not a huge island, a couple of million people, and they're having such a dense infrastructure. This is really, really outstanding. And they have millions of battery swaps per week. And this is something which, is, which has proven to be very successful. And Alex and I were discussing this quite often, actually, if battery swapping by users, also in Europe, where two out of three shared mobits are situated at the moment, might be a thing for the future. That is something we're seeing maybe in 2022, 2023 on a bigger scale. I think we're getting ready. We're getting there. A couple of pathway decisions are taken at the moment. Yeah, I certainly think that like Tia has talked about doing it just for the kick scooters. And I wonder if those would also be interoperable with mopeds if you were to do it. I don't know. Is that... Do you think that's possible? So, so actually, uh, they are already doing it in a few cities and they started to kind of like rolling it out. And, and uh, I think that's actually a very interesting approach. 
And then we see also, you know, other activities in this area. Uh, just a few days ago, I think BP, uh, British Petrol and, and Piaggio also announced a, a collaboration on this that, you know, maybe gas station become also swapping station in the future. I think Piaggio is also part yeah. of this consortium with uh, Honda, KTM and, and Yamaha to have a, a standardized battery among them, among them. So we definitely see a lot of activity there. But I think so right now, I mean, also with Gogoro and these activities, there is not yet a clear form factor that will you know make the make the race. So I think there, there there will still be some time to be seen. You know which size is the right one because the weight plays a role, the capacity plays a role, the technology plays a role, the infrastructure obviously as well. But definitely, I think that's something that the future will bring. And I think mobility in general can only profit from this if we have in the end a standardized battery and a lot of vehicles can use it. It makes so much sense. So yeah, I, I'm I'm pretty excited to see what the future will bring on this. Oliver, just to mention one more thing on that aspect, it's not yeah. only an Asian game when we're talking about manufacturers, which are basically active in the full stack of shared mobility and mobile sharing in particular. There are also a yeah. couple of European actors, which are basically down the value chain quite substantially, including Govex, for example, which is the European market leader at the moment, at yeah. least in terms of Moped supplying to the market. They also run Zoom sharing, which is more franchise in the field. They're active in Stuttgart, for example, and also another Eastern German town, which is Leipzig. And they offer this also to the market. So they're quite embedded. Another good example would be, for example, Silence Mobility from Spain. And yep. they have been acquired beginning of the year by one of the biggest global mobile sharing companies also, which is Acciona Mobility, also in Spain active and in Italy a bit. So it's, it's quite interesting to see that this integration along the value chain is definitely something which I would also highlight as a trend of the last one and a half years. I haven't seen that so much before that. And I'm very convinced that this might be also quite an opportunity for the coming years. Yeah, absolutely. So the city, like, when you talk about all these different, as you say, Western Europe is definitely like the hub of where all the exciting stuff's happening. What are the cities that are the hotspots for this stuff? Because my, again, one of these like, oh, yeah, 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 I'm following the space. Barcelona, that's the hotspot of all this thing. Like that's where everybody's sharing these mopeds. <laughs> but I'm very conscious that that may no longer be the case. How's the market developed? Where's been the most interesting or where are the hotspots and then where's the most interesting growth? So if we're just looking at Europe, the new capital of mobile sharing is actually Paris. Quite no way. Yeah. Oh, interesting. At the moment, around 7,000 mopeds by, oh, Alex, is it four or five suppliers? Quite a bit, actually, by now. Five. I think it's five. Yeah. Five. Yeah, we had yeah. traditional suppliers such as CityScoot and Troopy, and now some of also the leading moped sharing suppliers and operators, uh, I'd say, in Europe also entered the, the market, including Kultra, Jego, and also Lime, which first went live yeah, with I know got in the US. Sharing. Interesting. Yep. Yep. Um, yep. So Paris is definitely the capital at the moment, but closely following is Barcelona, as you said, then it's Madrid. Woo! So yes. <laughs> Spain yep. is actually also the biggest global market still. was not the yep. growth driver of the past year, but still the biggest market. And then coming from Berlin, I'm also happy that Berlin is seeing more and more competition at the moment. And that would be the fourth city at the moment in, in Europe with uh, up to 5,000 mopeds, actually. Wow. And so I want to also unpack as well, like, what is the impact for, say you've shifted to electrification. And one of the things that, like, I was blown away with when I had a conversation with Revel 
who are one of the North American leaders yeah. and specifically they've done electric mobility. They started in Brooklyn and have gone elsewhere in the States has been one that the fact that they could finance these things without equity. So they could finance them on debt. And then the fact that they were electric and that they've got their operations a lot tighter meant that the cost per kilometer actually was very, like they could get that right down. And so I'm kind of curious, like, do you have any understanding or insight into the operating costs or what the operating cost curves have looked like over the last, like, say, three or four years? And have they come down over time? Like, is it is it becoming cheaper to provision the service to customers? Well, I think definitely. I mean, like I said before, so, you know, with the yeah, growing maturity of vehicles, that already helps, you know, reducing operating costs. I mean, if the range is increasing, the battery capacity is going up, you don't have to touch a vehicle in the same frequency as you had to do before. That, you know, all these technology advancements definitely help driving down the operating costs. And then, you know, I mean, in the end, it's also about the reliability. That's also something, obviously, which is very important for us that, you can, you know, you get good data from a vehicle and it's always connected. So, you know where it is and you can find it easily and know about the vehicle health, get enough data from the vehicle. The appetite for data from the fleet is, is constantly going up. And, uh, yeah, of course, we're trying to serve these needs. And so yeah. Uh, all of that, you know, pays into the into the cost calculation in in the end, and uh, yeah. So I think definitely that cost has has been going down, and uh, hopefully will continue to do so. Yeah, I mean, Horace and I had an episode. I uh, was reminded of the other night when I was at dinner, which was about how we believe that over time the cost will trend towards zero for electric mobility. That these vehicles will continue to get a lot cheaper, and that the vehicles once mass produced, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, we will start getting to the point where, you know, especially when you pair it with like a mobility as a service layer where people are accessing it with their smartphone and then you can have, for example, other people pay to, you know, like do stuff like routing traffic. So, you know, someone will say, hey, if you come to my restaurant, I will pay for your electric moped sharing trip because that's something that's available in a marketplace to be able to fund that sort of stuff because the cost is so low because we can stack in that. And I really think that like out of all of the different form factors, the one that I'm most excited about is probably mopeds because I think that they've just, they're so from a vehicle maturity perspective, they're the furthest along and certainly the ones that I think that you can probably start to eke out some really, really efficient operating models on. Totally, Oliver. I think a lot of points actually uh, often resonating in that space. We're talking about capital investment, about operational costs and expenditures. That's pretty, pretty much the standard way to talk about it. And I think that's a very solid way to talk about it. But I think something which is often overlooked is also the framework conditions. And I think that is something which is becoming a new field, a new, new game. Talking about the city level, um, the framework conditions, about tenders, about uh, political will to support. And I think that is also something which might establish a better positive climate, even more than the CAPEX and OPEX will be able to, to change the, the field and the, the rules of the game. Yeah. I think if we take Paris as being like the current European moped sharing capital, by the way, the global capital is Taipei and Taiwan yeah. with 10,000 mopeds at the moment. I think there's a very progressive city supporting where it can switching car lanes to, to bike lanes and micromobility provisions. In general, this is something we, we've seen a very willing political class, which is trying to establish new ways of thinking and like getting rid of, for example, 
aspects like fees for shared mobility vehicles, which some other cities have been taken upon. So I think that is something which is really, really interesting. At the same time, they're working to establish a tender, for example, as some other cities in the space have been doing in the past. One of the most well-known cities actually in the field was Barcelona, where in the very end, 10 operators were granted licenses, which is, I think, personally not a very sustainable way for users, the city and operators alike to, to run a tender scheme in the very end, since like this is not giving you the perfect use experience from a user perspective, because yeah. like downloading, ten let's say, 10 yeah. different operator apps and for each of these operators having a couple of hundred mopeds out on the street doesn't give you the full experience. It's all about density. It's all about visibility in the streets. And I think tender doesn't need to be something bad, but like there needs to be a lot of political will and support from the city. And that is a frontier I would like to put also into the focus and attention of the upcoming maybe one or two years in the mobile sharing space. Yeah, great. And so is there any examples of like a city that's really nailed it and or templates of tenders in terms of like best practice for operations that you've seen that you could point to? Well, to me, I think one a really interesting example is Paris. Paris, yeah. I think very progressive. I'm not sure if, you know, we can already say that, you know, they're doing everything right. I think, you know, time will tell. I think they have at least some like good framework in place and yeah, give some security also to the operators that they know, you know, what's coming and they, you know, make sure that it's something that is helpful, not only for the, the people who live in these cities, but also for the operators. So it's, it's attractive for them as well. And I think that's, that's also an important aspect yeah. that we really have to, you know, keep in mind both groups. So, you know, in the end, because it needs to serve both areas to be totally. know, running so, in the long run. So can you tell me how Paris did it? Because as I, as I understood it, it was like a total free for all in the beginning. And like there were like 20 operators or yeah. something like that. I think it was at, at peak. Yeah. I mean, it was just a it was a total laissez-faire free market <laughs> system. Then they said, no, 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 no we're going to go. And then they ended up with what, three? Of the of the scooter no, providers at the moment, there's a French term for it. It's actually called laissez-faire, <laughs> yes. and it's basically no market regulation. Yeah. That is, has been the case in most of these 175 mobile sharing cities globally. Right. That's the standard. Yeah. I'm not regulating much. And I think that's also partially because there was no need for tenders, because like mopeds are a form factor vehicle which are very accepted. They're nothing new. They doesn't cause unrest or like big vandalism. They're just accepted. Yep normal mode of transportation for most European cities. I think Paris at the moment is just in the process of tendering. They're creating the tender rules at the moment and the framework for it. So no, none of the five active operators actually applied for license. Um, that might change in the future, but that's the game for 2022. There's another good example. So I've seen a couple of tenders in the past, and I think... One of the countries which had the most tenders in the past is not Spain, which I mentioned before, but the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. And the Netherlands and, and Western Europe, they're basically, we saw tenders in, and tender processes and licensing processes in Amsterdam and Rotterdam and Groningen in the north of the Netherlands. And what they maybe had in common, just to give you a couple of best practices I've seen so far in the industry, only a few operators were allowed. It's not one, maybe it's two, maybe it's three, like a reasonable number mm -hmm. with reasonable numbers of fleet size. So you can actually just by yourself as being an individual operator also offer a satisfactory, sufficient density in the city. That is something which is definitely a part of the success story. Something else would be the mass factor. So ideally, 
these operators also work together in a mass context that from a user perspective, people can use all of these operators without having the need of registering and signing up for each of these operators. That is also something from an operator perspective, I do believe very important is the factor to grant the licenses for a couple of years, yeah. not only for six month pilot plus X or a year or one and a half. I think for this large sum of an investment to go into a city with mopeds and run a reasonable fleet to change mobility for the better, you definitely need like two or three years plus. That is something just to cover a couple of best practices, which I would see as really beneficial for users, the city and the operators alike. And I think then we're coming into a win-win situation. Totally. How would you think about things like subsidies? So actually, you know, most public transport is subsidized at some level and are there any examples of cities around the world that are actually saying, hey, we want to provide some sort of level of a subsidy to help make these services affordable because we can see them as a part of an essential part of the transport mix, especially for like a decarbonization of our transport. And then the second is parking. How are cities enabling or and or creating more space for parking for these vehicles, et cetera? It's like, is that a thing that's happening or is it typically just utilizing what, what already exists? Yeah, from from my perspective, again, I think so. Subsidies, I haven't I haven't actually seen that in the space yet. I think yeah. the approach that Rico mentioned before, uh, what we've seen in cities like in, in the Netherlands, you know, providing a good framework and making it attractive for operators to go in is actually a good way to to make it attractive for them and you know also for them to drive towards profitability. And on the other side, yeah, I mentioned before Paris, so they are actually thinking about taking parking space that they currently have for cars and, you know, changing it and transforming it to other forms of, of, of parking, for example, for bikes, for example, for, for mopeds. And so I think that's definitely something that, that helps, you know, give more equilibrium to, you know, the, the mix of vehicles and not be too car focused. Yeah, definitely. I think that that is a pretty interesting hub approach, like to, to offer hubs for different vehicle forms, including kick scooters, yeah. including bikes and mopeds, like all forms of micromobility. That's pretty interesting. But on the other hand, in quite some cases, including the German case, that is often not really needed at the moment, at least for the mopeds. Because like, I do believe that they very often fit naturally into the parking landscape. They're often allowed and tolerated to park on the side of the sidewalks as long as there are a couple of rules are followed. And this code of conduct is very, very naturally woven into the mobility behavior of users. I think this is also a success case, which doesn't stress other like parking space, which is already scarce. Sometimes it's made even more scarce for political reasons, for good reasons, yeah. to change mobility for the better. And that's quite interesting. So we have the hub approach and also this naturally woven acceptance of side street parking, for example. We In Germany, we often call it Kinderwagenregelung, which is basically a rule that a moped can park on the side walk as long as twin baby carrier uh, can basically pass along still on the sidewalk. Yeah. This is quite interesting. And, and this shows also that other mobility people, people which use public space, for example, on the sidewalk, pedestrians still taken into the formula, which is very important to also gain acceptance. I love that Germans, of course, have a word for this, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes. Hey, look, I have so many more questions and I'm also conscious that we don't have a heap more time. So I'm going to just finish it off with this and we are going to have to cycle back and do this in a year. If you're looking into the future, what do you expect for the next you know, year to two years. What's the thing that you'd say I'm most excited about? Maybe we'll start with Enrico and then go to Alex. 
So maybe the classic overarching trends this is no big surprise here. They will stay. This is mobility as a service, multimodality, more and more operators uh, opening up to different form factors. This is really, really important. And I do believe that expansion will be definitely a keyword of the next two years for the mobile sharing space. This is definitely something I'm, I'm expecting here. Maybe, Alex, you can take a little bit on the more micro trends, some other trends which you're seeing in the space, because like, I do believe there are quite some innovations in the making. Yeah, I mean, I think I mentioned before, so I mean, the different form factors, I think are, are, are something that, uh, like I said before, we will see uh, rather sooner than later. Mm -hmm. uh, I also think we discussed that point as well is the battery infrastructure. Yeah. yeah and then, I mean, in general, and I think Enrico touched on it as well already, we do have not only sharing, but also like you know, rental and subscription and, you know, all these different offerings. We, from our side, look at it more as like a, a vehicle as a service, and it can be in you know different uh, offerings. And I think that kind of diversification of business models will continue. That's that's definitely what I expect in the next years to come. Awesome. And if you were to put a put a bet on what the number will be, top line number will be a year from now, Enrico. So we're at one hundred. A year from now. Wow, this is a tough question. So I didn't see COVID obviously coming. Nobody did. So everything can happen. But I'd say we're probably, let's go with 140, 50,000. This is definitely possible. It's also a bold bet, but I think the market growth we can see at the moment is quite substantial. I mentioned 27 countries. And since the report was basically research, we already saw like new markets popping up. I, I talked to so many operators together with Alex and Alex, you remember like it's quite some operators told us their, their market expansion plans. So I think this is also a p potential possible good number. Yeah. Awesome. Alex, would you differ? Would, would you go bolder? Yeah, I mean, I, I would have also said like 150,000. So uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I hope it's, it's even more. I, I think we see some positive signals also from the investor side. So uh, definitely, if that continues in that direction, uh, then yeah, I think the 150 we can actually see next year. Yeah, awesome. If I was to chuck my bet into the ring, I'm going to go bolder, I reckon 170. And the reason that I say that is because it feels like so much is changing. And as we're seeing with at the moment, we're recording yeah. this in late October, Glasgow is about to happen, the big cop for climate change. The number of commitments that the countries around the world have made have been pretty aggressive in terms of climate reduction. And yet we don't have, we cannot do that with electrification of automobiles. And so people are going to be looking for really, really, like, I, I think we're going to see a lot of really enabling policies that go into the space. And it's mature enough now that it could accept a bunch more investment and scale up. And I think it, you know, obviously that's the job of us here on this podcast and in the community and with you guys with this report. So hopefully we'll work out how to supercharge it and we'll all come back and be completely wrong. And we're, we're well into the stratosphere with our new numbers, at least the next time we do this report. So, hey, thank you so much. I really, I, this has been such a fascinating chat and I really appreciate it. We should make this an annual thing, not a biannual thing. I, I think, uh, I think. Go. Deal. That sounds good. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Well, look, thank you team. I really appreciate it. And thank you so much for the time. And yeah, look, we'll hopefully have you up on the stage at one of our conferences again soon, or certainly on the podcast again. Super. You should come back to Berlin or to Europe. I'm looking forward to that. Thanks for the chat, Oliver. Most welcome. Hey, yeah, we're working on it. We'll hopefully have something to announce soon. Oh, awesome. <laughs> thanks, Oliver. Yeah, Excellent. looking forward to seeing you again. Excellent. Okay. Hey, thanks, Alex. Thanks, Enrico. Peace.